Just as Ashley said, today we're finishing up our series, Taking Ground. We've been, now this is our fifth week, last week of it. Next week we'll start our new series on love. Don't miss it. But we have been learning what it means to take ground. That it's a year for us to have victory in our lives. It's a year for us to advance the kingdom of God. In order to take ground, you've got to write it down. The vision that God's given you. That we take time this year at the first week of the series writing down the goals God's given us. In order to take ground, that we've gotta be grounded in godly relationships, godly beliefs, spending time in God's word. In order to take ground, we've gotta keep marching till the walls fall down. And this morning, as we finish the series, I want you to stand on your feet all over this room, pull out your Bible if you got one, or Bible on your phone, get ready to take some notes, because today, God wants to speak to you about taking ground this year and even though the series finishes today we're going to keep taking ground as a church in your life god wants you to walk in victory breaking bad habits starting good habits seeing victory in your finances your health your marriage your family relationships and i encourage you as you're standing too later this week go to our website victory.com slash taking ground We've got tons of resources, free helpful tools, quizzes that will help you take ground this year in your health, your finances, purity, relationship with God, marriage and family. So make sure you take advantage of that resource. Let's turn in our Bibles to Joshua 22, verse seven. Joshua 22, verse seven. Man, Pastor Rod Baker just gets me excited about missions and outreach. I am so thankful, Pastor Rod, that you and Gloria and the whole outreach team are helping us as a church take ground in our city. And I'm excited about the tables in the lobby, all the organizations that are helping. It's amazing, it's awesome. Goes right along with my message today. Joshua 22, verse seven through eight. And this was a time where Joshua was divvying up the land to the 12 tribes of Israel. They had taken all this ground, taken Jericho and Ai and Bethel and Jerusalem and Galilee and Joshua was giving each tribe a piece of the ground. And he says this, he sent them off to their homes and he said, go home. You're going home rich, you know. Great herds of cattle, silver and gold, bronze and iron, huge piles of clothing, not to mention all the land that I've given you. And he said this, share the wealth. Everybody say, share the wealth. He said, share the wealth with your friends and all the families, all this plunder from your enemies. Don't keep it to yourself. You've got to share it with somebody else, not just for their benefit, but for your benefit too. See, generosity is not just impacting the person that we give to, it's impacting us as well. So today we're gonna talk about that as we finish the series, Taking Ground. We welcome all those that are new today. We're so glad you came in to Victory. Welcome home, welcome to your new family. I think Victory is the cream of the crop. The people you meet in this church, they're the sweetest people in the world. They might even take you to lunch after church. Come on now. Well, let's say our victory confession together on the count of three. If you're new to victory, we say this every week, just a declaration to let God speak to us. Here we go on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. Lord, thank you for victory. Thank you for joy. Thank you for revival in this place. God, thank you for compassion in our hearts. Use us this year to do great things and let it be the best year yet. In Jesus' name, everybody said 
Amen. Give someone a high five as you're being seated and say, take ground, take ground, take ground. I heard a story about this professional climber who had been preparing for months to climb this well-known mountain. He had paid thousands of dollars to join a team, expedition team, and they were nearing the top of the mountain. It was taking them weeks to just trek up this mountain and climb through the snow and through the cold weather. And as they were getting closer to the top, it was their final day. They were a few hours away from the summit. There was a small window to reach the top of the mountain before the blizzard came in. It would make it impossible for the next few weeks for them to reach the top. This was their moment to get to the top. This was their hour for this man, this professional climber who had been preparing to finally reach the summit. And as they were getting closer to the top, just a few hours away, this climber looked to the right side and he saw a man curled up in the snow, lifeless, just laying there on the side of the mountain. His team commander said, nobody stop. If you stop, you won't make it to the top. Just keep moving forward. Just ignore him. Keep moving forward. This commander was, he was lacking any compassion. He was so focused on reaching the top of the mountain. But this climber who had been preparing, he thought to himself, I can't just ignore this dying man on the side of the mountain. So he yelled back at his commander, you guys go ahead. I'm going to stop and help. The commander shouted back at him. He said, you've paid all this money. You've come all this way. If you stop, you won't make it to the top. You might even die if you try to help that other climber. Just keep going. But the man couldn't shake it. So he left his team as they kept trekking to the top. And he walked over to the side. True story, he found this climber who had fallen over and there was just a little heartbeat left. But he was totally unconscious. So the climber began to massage the man's arms and pat the man's face, rub his legs, just do anything to get this man to wake up. Finally, after 15 to 20 minutes, the climber wakes back up and the professional climber lifts him up and he carries him down the mountain. And that day he saved the man's life. When they got to the bottom of the mountain, the doctor began to check both of them. And the doctor looked at the professional climber who stopped and he said, had you not have stopped, you would have died at the top of the mountain. Your fingers were going numb. Your toes were going numb. You would have died of frostbite. But when you stopped to save this man's life, you ended up saving your life too. And the climber said this that day. He said, I didn't make the summit, but I saved a person's life. I gained a brother that day. And in exchange, I ended up saving my life too. And the bottom line that I want to share with you that I think Joshua was sharing with the people of Israel is this. You never lose when you help somebody else win. You never lose when you help somebody else win. You never lose. When you help others take ground, you end up taking ground too. When you give somebody else a chance, a shot, potential, a hand to help, when you go out of your way to serve somebody else, it ends up only causing you to succeed too. Joshua was telling these Israelites, he was saying, guys, this is too good to keep to yourself. This is too good to just march forward and think that you took ground just for you. He said, this is meant to be shared. You're meant to give some of this away. This plunder that you've got, these, these testimonies that you have. And to the church here today, God's given you opportunities and blessings and potential. And he's brought you here, not just for you, but so that you can help other people around you. He's blessed you 
to be a blessing. In fact, Jesus' first sermon, Matthew chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew five, verse 14, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that should not be hidden. In other words, he was saying, you're called to shine bright with God's love. You're called to share what I've given you. The message that I put inside you, it's meant to be shared with other people. I remember when this came alive to me. I was a junior in high school. I was super selfish. I'm the baby of the family. My older siblings, Sarah, Ruthie, John, they were always taking care of me, feeding me, dressing me, helping me. Praise God, I started dressing myself as I turned like 10 years old. But the main thing is, I was always letting people take care of me. I was, I was selfish. <laughs> in my junior year, a girl that I liked, she called me. Her name was Ashley Hope McAuliffe. She later on became Ashley Hope Doherty. But she called me that, that week, and I remember she invited me to something her brother, her older brother Justin, was doing with a bunch of ORU friends. She said, hey, my older brother and a bunch of his friends at ORU, they're getting together this Friday night. They're going to go and do a bunch of fun stuff, and they've invited us to join them. She didn't really tell me what it was, but immediately I was excited. The girl that I liked, my first college party, I was stoked. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but I was like, I am in. Whatever we're doing, I'm all in. And uh, I didn't wanna tell my parents because I wasn't sure what we were gonna do. And so anyways, she said, we're gonna meet at the church. And I was like, what? We're gonna meet at the church? She said, yeah, we're gonna meet at the 24-7 Victory Bible College building. Just meet me there. My brother will be there and a bunch of his friends. We're gonna go and do a bunch of fun stuff. So I show up there that night and I walk into this room and there's over 100 college students on their knees, praying, interceding in tongues. They're praying loud in tongues. They're shouting these prayers, and, and, and they're crying, and they're listening to worship music on a CD player. And I'm looking at these college students, and they're dressed really cool, and they look really cool, and they're really popular. But it was like they threw out the cool card, and they were just praying and worshiping Jesus. They didn't care what anyone else thought. They were laying on the floor just crying out to God. And this worship song was playing by this guy named Jason Upton, and he was shouting out worship music, and they were worshiping God. And it just was so wild to me that on a Friday night, these college students were in a church room, and they were praying and worshiping with the CD player. And then this guy stands up in the middle of them, and he's this strong dude. He's got a really cool haircut. I think he had a tattoo. He was like a CrossFit guy, and I was like, this guy looks cool. I wonder what he's gonna do. And he stands up in the middle, and he says, if our gospel only stays in these walls, then it is no gospel at all. We must go to the north, the south, the east, and the west and share God's love with the poor and the oppressed and the hungry and the naked and the lonely and those in prison. Who's with me? And all of these college students roared, yes! And they stood up and they got in the middle and they did a big hoorah chant. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, I grew up around the church. I grew up with my parents as pastors, but I was so shocked to see these college students on a Friday night doing this. And then they left the room and they said, let's go. And so me and Ashley hopped in one of their cars and I felt cool. I was with college students. And that night we went to McDonald's. We bought over 100 burgers, cheeseburgers, off the dollar menu, rolling on a budget. And we went downtown. And we begin to pass out burgers. And we begin to pray for the sick. And we begin to lead people to Jesus that night. It was one of the most amazing experiences. Something was changing in me. 
I was shifting from selfishness to selflessness. There was, there was this shift. I had always written down goals at the beginning of my year, and my goals were good. I would write down goals like, I want to make this much money this year in my lawn business. I want to save this much money that I make, and I want to read this many chapters in the Bible, and I want to spend this much time praying. But the only problem was there were some goals that were missing, and I hadn't written down any goals of what I wanted to do to help other people win. And I realized I was living very selfish. And that night, my heart started breaking for our city. I started crying for Tulsa. I started realizing, God, you love all these people. And you want to use me? What a privilege that you want to use me and anybody who's willing to be used to help other people take ground. And so I began to pray. And the next morning, that same group, they said, let's, let's meet together tomorrow morning. That next morning, we went to the Tulsa Dream Center. And we began to go door to door down these streets of the Tulsa Dream Center. We did this ministry called Adopt-A-Block. We began to knock on doors and say, hey, can we pray for you? Is there anything we can do for you? And they began to say, what are you doing? You guys are young people. You gave up your Saturday morning for this and there's games on TV. You should be at home watching TV. And we said, we would rather be doing this. And I remember changing this woman's light bulb and then she was crying as I was changing her light bulb and her house was filled with junk. It was, there was just a bunch of stuff that had collected. She said, would you throw away some of this trash? We threw it away and then we raked her yard, mowed her lawn and she's just crying. And then we got to pray for her. And that weekend, people got saved, people got healed. Revival was happening, and here's why I tell you this story. Some of us are praying for revival, we're waiting for revival, and others of us are just in the middle of revival. We're just in the stream, man, we're swimming. Revival is happening. You might miss it because you think it's something else. I'm telling you, open your eyes, the harvest is ripe. It's time to get in the revival that God is doing. Church, we're experiencing revival on a weekly basis here. It's happening. Last week, 117 people got water baptized, dozens of them giving their life to Jesus Christ right over here on the stage for the first time in their life saying, I believe in Jesus. I surrender. And church, I want to invite you this year, not just to live, but to thrive this year, to thrive this year. Jackie Robinson said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. You can make a living this year. Many people will get a job, make tons of money, or make just enough money to pay the bills. That's our living. But I want to invite you on an adventure of a lifetime that every week you would look for opportunities to help somebody win to give something to someone who could never pay you back because that's where real life begins. You wanna take ground this year? Help somebody else take ground. You wanna succeed this year? Help somebody else succeed. You wanna win this year? Help somebody else win who can never pay you back because when you do something for somebody else, God takes care of the needs that are in your life. I remember a church planter telling me, he was trying to find a place to plant a church, and he said, I should only plant a church where there's a supply there. And it hurt me when he said that. Because he said, I should only go where someone can take care of it and make it work. And I go, wait a minute, God. 
Maybe I'm foolish and maybe I'm naive, but I only want to plant a church where there's a need. Because if I'll go where the need is, you'll take care of the supply. I don't ever want to be fixed on what somebody can pay me back for. I only want to do what you've called me to do and go where there's a need. Go where there's hurting people to bring help. God wants you to look for the need. See a need and meet it. See a hurt and heal it. God wants you to live this year. Like really live this year by helping others take ground. What holds us back from helping others take ground? I think sometimes it's busyness. We're too busy. We're too busy to stop and help somebody else. My dad one day was going to teach a Bible, Bible school class here in Tulsa, and along the way to the class, this woman stopped him, and he was already one minute late because the meeting he was in prior to that had gone long, and my dad's very time conscious. He had to get to places on time. But this woman stopped him before the class and she's crying. And she goes, Pastor Billy Joe, Pastor Billy Joe, I'm hurting. They turned off my electricity. And she began to tell him everything she was going through, a single parent mom. And she said, would you pray for me? And my dad was overcoming in his mind that he had to be somewhere. But he knew this was more important than getting there on time. And so he stopped and he began to pray for her. And after he prayed, she's crying. She said, I'm so sorry. I made you late. I made you late. And he goes, no, don't apologize. They can wait. They have to wait. I'm the pastor. <laughs> and guys, I'm telling you, sometimes we are so busy trying to take our own ground that we're missing the people along the path, divine interruptions, that God's called you to detour their destiny back to Jesus. God's called you to be the person in their path that if you would just for a second slow down and show compassion like the Good Samaritan, you could change someone's world. And when you change one person's world, you change the whole world. There's a story about this wealthy man, true story. He was driving a, a brand new truck he had just bought off the, the car lot. And he had to drive through a poor part of town. And he wanted to go fast through this poor part of town because he didn't want to feel bad and didn't want to stop to give anybody money. And so he was driving a little bit faster than the speed limit. And then it got into a slow area where he was passing by some homes. This little boy ran out to the front of the yard, trying to wave the man down in the truck. Stop, mister, stop. The man just tried to pretend like he didn't see him looking the other way. The little boy picked up a brick, chunked it at the truck, dents the side of his brand new truck. The businessman slams on the brakes, jumps out of the truck, and he said, you juvenile, you're going to pay for this or go to jail. The little boy started crying, I'm sorry. My mom's dying in our house and our phone's been cut off and I don't have a way to call a doctor and I just need you to call a doctor. I'll go to jail, but please call a doctor. My mom's spitting up blood. The businessman felt ashamed. He was a doctor. And he said, I'm a doctor. Where's your mom? The little boy walked the doctor through the house the man saw this woman spitting up blood, dying in the room. He knew exactly what needed to be done to save her life. And he did it right then. And the little boy looked at him and he said, is my mama going to live? And he said, yeah, your mom's going to live. And he said, then it was worth it. I'll go to jail. I'm sorry I hurt your truck. The doctor began to cry and repented. He said, no, I'm the one who needs to apologize. And this is what he wrote down. He said this. Don't go through life so fast that someone has to throw a brick to get your attention. God whispers in our souls and he speaks to our hearts. Sometimes when we don't have time to listen, he has to throw a brick to get our attention.
It's our choice. Listen to his whisper or wait for the brick. Church, one of the best things you can do with your year this year is stop and help somebody win. Help somebody win. It'll change their life and it'll change your life too. If you're going through depression right now, if you're going through pain right now, one of the best ways to get healed, one of the best ways to get free is to help somebody else even when you're hurting. I got to stop in this moment because my wife did this for me. The first six to nine months of pastoring our church, I was extremely dealing with insecurity. Every time I would lead a meeting or preach a sermon, I would get off and I would immediately start to criticize myself and feel like I messed up and I, I was failing and I wasn't doing good. My wife was the first person to encourage me. She'd speak these words of encouragement, say, Paul, you're doing good, and don't put yourself down. It was so much better than you realize, and I don't know if she was always telling the truth, but it felt good. <laughs> but there would be times where Ashley would be doing something in ministry, and she needed my encouragement, and I was selfishly focused on the things that I was feeling like I failed at. And even though she had a need, she would sow a seed to encourage me. The day came where I realized, babe, I'm sorry. I haven't encouraged you like I should. You've been such a selfless encourager, helping me take ground, even when you needed to take ground. And I think I'm speaking to husbands and wives too right now. Because you can help someone take ground even in your own home. In fact, I think that's where it should start first. With your spouse, with your kids with your sister, with your brother, with other classmates, with coworkers, with other employees. We live in a world right now, especially in America, where everything is cutthroat competition at the expense of candidates putting down each other's wives and making fun of their families and constantly criticizing each other. And if we're not careful, we'll watch what's happening in the political climate of our nation right now and we'll let it get into us that we think all that we need to do is get to the top of the mountain even if we have to ignore people along the way or cut them off or criticize them. And church, I'm telling you, the key to really living this year is when you help somebody else get to the mountain with you, when you help somebody else win ahead of you, when you put yourself behind them and say, I'm gonna serve this year like Jesus served, like Philippians 2. I'm gonna choose to not be selfish, but to take on the mind of Christ and be a servant this year in my workplace, in my house, in my dorm room, at my school, with my friends. I'm going to choose to help others take ground so that I can truly take ground this year too. Martin Luther King Jr. said, most times we don't have time to love because we're so quick to judge. Most times we miss out on loving people so, because we're so quick to judge people. And if this year we could take off the judgmental glasses and put on the glasses of love, and see people through the eyes of Jesus, whether they're poor or rich, whether they're black or white, gay or straight, no matter what they're like, Jesus wants to use you this year to help somebody else find hope, to help somebody else find grace, to help somebody else find Jesus. Even if they sin differently than you've sinned, they still need the love of Jesus like Jesus has loved you. And if Jesus loved you when you were in your darkest hour of sin, you can love somebody else the way that he's loved you. Jesus. Four things we can do as a church this year to help others take ground. That we wouldn't take this lightly. We wouldn't downplay or 
underestimate the power of helping others take ground and sowing, their, sowing seeds into people's lives. Number one, the seed of your time. Never underestimate the seed of your time that can help somebody else take ground. Think about the book of Joshua. Never would have been written if Moses didn't spend the time to mentor young Joshua. The seed of Moses spending time talking to Joshua, loving on Joshua, believing in Joshua at a young age. Eventually that seed sprouted 40 years later when Joshua became the leader and Moses was dead. Sometimes our seeds don't take root until we're gone. But just know this, your seed has power. Even, I mean, one of the greatest legacies you can leave is the power of your seeds. Sow time into somebody's life. Train a child up in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. Some of us are only in church today because there was a grandma who spent the time on her knees to pray for us when we least deserved it, when we were the worst, when you were in jail, somebody visited you and that's why you're here today. Don't underestimate the power of your time. There was a man who would take me and my brother John to the junkyards here in Tulsa. He was kind of a stand-in grandfather because our grandfather lived in Arkansas and our other grandfather had passed. So Gordon would take me and John to the junkyards. It was kind of one of these fun, quirky things. We would get a burger and a shake along the way. But he would just spend time with us. He would pick us up and he drove a Mercedes and he would take us down to the junkyard. We'd get out, we'd go look at all the junk. And Gordon used to say this, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And he would look at me and John and he'd say, there's treasure in you. Never forget it. No matter what people say to you, there's treasure in you, Paul. There's treasure in you, John. And he would take the junk from the junkyard and he would turn it into a treasure. He was such a quirky, fun man. But the time that Gordon spent with us has allowed us to become who God's called us to be today. The time that my youth pastor, Danny, whenever I was in sixth, seventh grade, he would spend it with me. He was a very poor college student, had barely enough money to pay to go to Bible school at VBI, VBC, but he would spend time with me and my friends. He'd play video games with us. He'd come and hang out. He'd try to come to our basketball games, and oftentimes his car would break down on the way to our games, and we'd have to come and get our parents to come and help his car get started again, and he'd come and hang out with us. Danny asked me one day, Paul, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I want to be a preacher like my daddy. And he said, Paul, I'm going to help you. And each week he'd spend an hour with me crafting a message. And then he would have me preach a sermon just to him. He would take notes and give me points on things to work on. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the time that Danny spent just encouraging me, loving on me, coming to my games. Joshua never would have been the leader that he became if it wasn't for Moses encouraging him. See, sometimes we wait to believe in somebody until they succeed. But people need us to believe in them before they succeed. That's the only way they're going to succeed. It's like stockbrokers. They know the best time to invest in a stock is when it's low. Buy low. Buy low, sell high. If you'll buy low and see the potential of that stock, what it's going to become, you'll gain a whole lot more. And it's the same thing with people. That we would see potential in people before they graduate, before they're up on stage, before they're on TV, before they do anything great. That we would see greatness inside of people. Number two, never underestimate the seed of your words. Your words have power to propel people into their future. Your words have power to bring people into their destiny. Moses laid his hands on Joshua and spoke a blessing over him, and the people respected Joshua because of what Moses said about him. 
Joshua never would have had the respect from the people if it wasn't for Moses speaking the words over him. I wouldn't be up here today if it wasn't for my mom laying hands on me and Ashley and speaking words over us and encouraging us and believing in us and my grandma and my father with each of my siblings. None of us would be who we are if it wasn't for the words that were spoken into our souls that we grabbed hold of. There's a plan for my life. After my father passed, I came across this book called Every Day of Friday by Joel Osteen and it changed my life. It was so powerful. And there was a man in our church named Tom Newman who happened to know Pastor Joel. And he said, Paul, I know you've been reading that book and now you've read it two times. And I know how much it's meant to you. Would you like to meet Pastor Joel? I said, yeah, I would love to. And he set it up for me and Ashley to go down and spend a few hours at Pastor Joel Osteen's house. I'll never forget it. We got to sit down there and he encouraged us and he just spoke words of hope over us. And he, he talked about when his father passed, how they made it through and how God took care of their church down in Houston. And then I was among all these pastors one night and Pastor Joel was in the room and John Bevere was there and all these other big name pastors. And me and Ashley were sitting in the very back. And they called up a young guy up on stage and they said, this young guy, Bobby, he's doing great things for God. Let's all stretch our hands out and pray for him and affirm him. And they did. Me and Ashley were praying and affirming. We were sitting in the back. We didn't think much of it. But Pastor Joel saw us in the crowd. And after we got done praying for Bobby, Joel walked up on stage. He said, hold on, don't leave yet. There's another person I want us to pray for, a couple. Paul and Ashley Doherty from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Would you guys stand up? We walked to the front and he said, Paul, and he began to talk about how him and his dad had a lot of experiences similar to me and my dad. And he began to affirm us in front of all these people. He didn't have to do that, but he did it. It was a seed. It was a seed of words that I'll never forget. And I hold on to those words because I know the power of his words and the power of my words and the power of your words has the power to propel you into your destiny. He didn't have to do it, but he did. This last week, I was preaching to our Victory Christian School and what he did for me, now I'm doing for others. Band, I want you to come up as I get ready to close, but here's what happened. I was at the Victory Christian School and this little boy ran up to me named Shadrach. And he said, Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul, I'm called to be an evangelist and a preacher and a pastor like you. Tears welled up. I said, Shadrach, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And God said, Paul, call him up on stage during the message. So I called Shadrach up there, seven-year-old Shadrach. I said, boys and girls, Shadrach's got a great call on his life. And so do you, boys and girls. No matter what God's called you to do, whether it's a doctor or businessman, nurse or coach or teacher, or whatever it is, pastor, missionary, God's got a calling on your life. Each one of the boys and girls prayed over Shadrach. Then we prayed over each other. I began to speak words over others. Even just this last year, I took my son Liam over here to the legacy wall that has pictures of my dad and pictures of my dad preaching to a crowd and his shoes are down at the bottom over here in the legacy wall. And I was with Liam there just looking at the wall and I was speaking over Liam. Liam, God's got a calling on your life. See, what one generation does for us, we do for the next generation. The gift goes on. Joshua understood if we don't pass this along, the next generation's gonna miss out on what God's called them to do. And I wonder if Moses helped Joshua because somebody helped Moses. When Moses was weak and he couldn't help himself, he was a baby in a basket. He should have been aborted. He was a foster child looking for a foster parent. And this 
daughter in Pharaoh's palace was walking towards the river where there were alligators snapping. And she said, somebody get that basket. There's potential in that basket. There's potential in that basket. And they grabbed the basket and inside it was a baby Hebrew boy. Everybody knew we were killing the Hebrew boys. That's what they were doing in Egypt back then. It was genocide. It was terrible. They were killing any boy under the age of two, any baby boy. But this girl, she said, no, not this one. Not this one. There's something special on this boy's life. I'm going to call him Moses. Little did she know that one day, 80 years later, Moses would be the deliverer for Israel. You never know what your words and your time can do for somebody. Number three, never underestimate the seed of your money. I'm telling you, there's power in your finances. I want to invite my brother John up here. He's got such a powerful testimony of what we as a church paid for 16 years ago that we might have forgotten about, but he experienced what happens down the road after we sow a seed. Aren't we grateful for Pastor Paul and Pastor Ashley? I'm grateful for you, bro. Love you too. Um, that was weird, but... <laughs> All right. So uh, my father-in-law, he, he took... He took uh, he took our family on a on a trip a few weeks back, and we were on we went on this cruise. And early one morning, no one was up, and I walked out on on the deck. And as I was walking out, it was probably like 6:30. I just was like, I'm just gonna get in the pool. No one was out. I saw this couple over here, and they were splashing, having fun, laughing. And I realized from their accent, I said, Oh, they're from another country. And I said, Where are y'all from? They said, We are from Sierra Leone, Africa. And I was like no way. And I said, I've actually been to Sierra Leone, Africa. And they go, why were you there? And I said, a long time ago, when I was 15 years old, um, there was this massive, you know, obviously the Civil War, the movie Blood Diamond, that's what it was all about. There's a big war over these diamonds. And um, I went there on a missions trip with my church. My parents, they, they decided to go there and it was really hard to get in because they were burning, they were burning churches, they were killing people. Um, and I remember us going to these amputee camps on this missions trip, and the, re and the rebels had, had maimed and cut off the limbs of these people. And they just had them in this camp, and, and there's people dying. Like, we would hear gunshots at night, and it, it terrified me, but at the same time, it opened my eyes, and it changed my life forever. It was one of the most hardest, difficult trip of my life. I was only 15, but, you know, we did these... We did this prayer and these healing crusades at night in these soccer fields. And this guy goes, oh my God, you're from Victory. And I was like, how? And he just said, he said, my name is James. He said, I lived in the town of McKinney, Sierra Leone. And your church came to, he goes, Victory, they came. No one else was coming. They, no one else was coming, but you guys came. He said, at that time, they were killing the men, and I dressed up as a woman. I put on a wig just to make sure that I wouldn't die. My wife, at that time, the rebels broke into her home, and she was on a second level, and, and they were raping the women, and they took her, her, they took her mom, they took her sister, and she ran out the back door, and they hit her in the head with the back of a gun, and she's still deaf today from it, and she fell off onto another home, and she was covered by the rubble. So when the rebels, whenever they went over there to find her, they couldn't find her, and then she pushed off the tin shed, and that was how she survived. 
and that night we heard about these Americans and they were doing these things. Um, they were doing these meetings, these Jesus meetings. He goes, I believed in God, but I was so scared. And so I came there that night dressed up as a woman and I walked up to the back of this soccer field and I saw these Americans that came when everyone else was running away. You guys ran toward us. And I saw people getting healed and I saw people getting saved. I knew that if they could do that, I knew God had a plan for my life. And he, and he said, I went on, I went on to, uh, to medical school and I got my license. Me and my wife, we own a physical therapy practice and we live in the highest economic neighborhood in Fairfax, Virginia. He said, I, I have so much money. He goes, we are here on a cruise with one of our clients. It's a multimillionaire. He goes, I went from drinking puddles in the street and now I'm here on a cruise. He's like, because I believed whenever I saw you guys. And he grabbed my hand, he goes, please tell Victory not to stop doing what they are doing. <laughs> and it wrecked me. I, I started crying, it was at 6.30 in the morning. And I'm just like, oh God, you know? And we talked for about 30 minutes, but it made, me, it made me realize about taking ground. So many times it can be difficult. So many times it can be something that is way outside of our comfort zone, but we never know the impact. Maybe not immediately, but years down the road of what we will do if we reach out and love people. Praise God. Church, is that not amazing? That in 1999, when we went to Sierra Leone, 17 years later, we saw the fruit. A seed never dies. In Israel, they just discovered a seed that's 2,000 years old. They planted it in the ground in 2006. They named the tree Methuselah. It came up from the ground. Today, it's producing dates on that tree. 2,000-year-old seed, it's producing fruit. You never know when your seed's gonna take root, when that person's life will turn around, when that grandson will come back to church, when your marriage will turn around. But don't let it stop you from sowing seeds. Don't let it stop you from believing in the power of your seed. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm about to close and dismiss. But before I do, I wanna give you the chance to be the light. We got these solar power lights. They collect sun during the day and then they produce light at night. If we could turn all the lights off in the room, this is so amazing. These solar power lights produce enough light just to put off right in a certain area. This summer, we're going to Malawi and Rwanda. In Malawi and Rwanda, there are areas where there is literally no light at night. It is extremely dark in some of the refugee camps that we're going to serve and going to help. It's extremely dark in certain orphanages that we've helped plant as a church. We're gonna go and we are literally bringing the light of the world to the darkest places in Africa this summer. We are believing God for 50,000 lights to light up the continent of Africa as a church. The amazing thing is these lights are only $5 a piece. You could bring the lights up in the room. These lights are only $5 a piece. They can squish down, you blow into them, and they squish down, you don't have to buy electricity, you just put it out in the day and it collects the light and puts it out at night. Literally brings a whole new meaning to you are the light of the world. 
This summer, as a church, we're gonna help others take ground in Africa. We're gonna help people all over the world. I'm inviting you to be a part of it. At the end of your row, there's offering envelopes. We're gonna pass them down. And today, if you wanna give a tithe or an offering into missions or outreach, as a church, we're gonna help our city take ground. We're filling up grocery bags. We're gonna, this year, give away two million pounds of food to our city, to our state, and to our nation, and to you as well. If you ever in need as a church, we're not just an outreach church, we're an in-reach church too. If you're ever going through a problem, a crisis, don't you ever hesitate to call. If you ever come to church and you feel like, Paul, I got nothing to give, I can't even give a dime, you always come. You are free to come to church if you never give a penny in your life. Why? Because we believe in reaching all people. We're not a yacht club members only church. We're a church for the lost. We're a church for those who are hurting. We're a church for those in need. We're a church to reach the north, south, east and west, the rich and the poor, the black and the white, in every continent, every race, every tribe, every tongue. This year, church, we're going to help people take ground. And I challenge you to give the joy of generosity. It's amazing what happens when you start giving. I didn't realize how much fun I was going to have until that night when I found those college students challenging me to be a giver when I had always been a getter, a receiver. But when I made the switch and I started helping other people, buying somebody a burger, praying for somebody when I needed somebody to pray for me, encouraging somebody, sending someone a text message to say, you've got it, I believe in you. Laying hands on the sick, praying for them, giving even when I felt like I had nothing to give. The joy of generosity, it'll make your year the greatest year yet. People who give of themselves and help other people win, they're happier, they're healthier, they have more fun, they're more satisfied. This year, even if you feel like you got nothing to give financially, that's okay. You also have time to give. You say, well, Paul, I don't have time to give, I'm too busy. Well, you got to smile to give to the people around you. Maybe you're not able to smile right now. Well, you got ears to give, to listen to people's stories. I remember talking to someone who said, Paul, I'm deaf and I'm, well, Somehow they were able to communicate to me through somebody. But they said, I'm deaf and I'm mute. I got nothing to give. And I told the person to tell them, you can give by just being by somebody, giving someone a hug, touching somebody, the power of touch. It's amazing how one hug can change somebody's day. One smile can change somebody's depression. One word of encouragement. You can help somebody when there's never a season in your life where you got nothing to give. And when you become someone who helps others take ground, You'll never lack God's favor. You'll never lack God's resources. You'll never lack anything from God. I'm telling you, it is such a joyful life to be the one who helps others take ground. As we give today, Lord, I pray over all of our seeds. Let it go and grow and advance your kingdom. Lord, as we help others win today, help us, Lord Jesus, to rise up, shaking off shame and inadequacy and insecurity and fear. And Lord, help us to see the power of our seeds in everything that we do. Let's worship the Lord in our giving today. And as the band plays, after that, the ushers will come. Then we're going to have a response time at the end before we dismiss. And we want to pray for all of you today before we head out. Let's worship the Lord with our giving. to believe for every voice 
Maybe you're not right with God. Maybe you've lost hope. Maybe you feel helpless. Maybe today you're the one who needs help to take crown. And you're here today. You gave God a chance. He hasn't forgot about you. He sees you. He loves you. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants to set you free from that depression, from that addiction, from that stronghold. Today is your day to find Jesus, to find hope, to surrender and say, Lord, I repent, I'm coming back home. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Today across this room, if that's you, and you need to let Jesus truly be Lord of your life, would you lift your hand today? Bold, don't let anyone care. What? Don't, don't let anyone stop you from doing what God's called you to do today. Yeah, hands going up all over this room today. Not caring what anyone else thinks today, you're saying, Jesus, I'm going all in for you because I want you to go all out for me. Yeah. Secondly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I need courage to step out this week, this month, this year, to be bold, to help others take ground. I've been busy at times. I've been selfish. I've had insecurities, inadequacies. But today, God's breaking my heart this year to help other people take ground. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's outreach. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's someone you know you're supposed to encourage this week that today you're saying, I'm going to make that step. I'm going to step out with boldness. If that's you, would you lift your hand up all over this room? You're saying, pray for me for boldness this year. Courage, strength to overcome laziness, to overcome fear, to overcome busyness, to overcome selfishness. Every hand that's raised, would you meet me at this altar all over this room? Just step out from your seat. I want to pray for you today to have an encounter with God that you will never be the same again. That today is a marked moment on your life to say, I'm switching from just being an, a receiver to being a giver. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Yeah, let's worship him. Let's cheer on every person today.
invite those that are here today that feel like you're called to go on the missions field, whether it's short-term or long-term, if you feel called to go on the missions field, just step out from your seat. Come meet us down here at this altar. I feel like there's missionaries in the room today. There's future missionaries. There's church planters. There's orphanage directors. There's Bible school teachers. There's people who are going to go to Asia and Africa and Europe and Canada and South America and Central America and right here in North America, urban missionaries. God's called you to do outreach and missions but you don't know how you're gonna do it financially. You don't know how it's gonna work out. God's saying, step out in boldness. On the other side of your comfort zone is somebody's destiny that's gonna be changed because of your obedience. Today, if that's you, just join us here at this altar. In Jesus' name, strength and courage, resources, finances. Today, Lord, a change of heart. Jesus, be Lord of our life. In Jesus' name. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Despite what you feel like you can't do, God says, I can use you. I can use you to make an impact on the world. Listen to the whisper of the Lord. Don't wait for the brick. Listen to the whisper of the Lord. He's saying, I've got a calling on you. I've got a plan for you. I want to use you to change the world starting at home, starting at the workplace, starting with your family members. Don't keep it all to yourself. Share it. Help other people take ground this year. Help somebody else win. Serve somebody else in your life. God's breaking off selfishness. He's breaking off complacency. He's breaking off that busy mindset. He's showing, he's showing you today to have a heart for the world, compassion for those around you, your brothers and your sisters. He's breaking down racism. He's breaking off prejudice. He's breaking off bigotry. Today, he's saying, see people through the eyes of Jesus. See people the way I see you. See the treasure in people before they succeed. God's calling you to be a dream releaser, to believe and see potential in people and call it forth. In Jesus' name, Lord, use our church to touch our city, to touch our state, to touch our nation. Let revival start in here. Let it go out of these walls. Lord, let us bring people each week to know you, to find you, to discover you, Lord Jesus. So many opportunities that we can help people. So many opportunities that we can be the light of the world for somebody. Today, we can pick up a grocery bag, fill it up this week. Some of us are waiting for a stage. God says the stage is your neighborhood. The stage is the third floor at St. Francis ICU. Go pray for some people. Your stage is Edison High School after-school tutoring programs. Your stage is the Dream Center gymnasium, raising up basketball players who love Jesus Christ. Your stage is the classrooms of the Dream Center. Your stage is your children. It's your marriage. I believe that God has called many of us to go into all the nations of the earth. And I believe that you will. You will. If you desire to go, you will go. But don't wait to do missions till you go. Start right here, right now. 
Jesus told his disciples, go into the highways, the byways, your neighborhoods, the workplace, the quick trips, the Walmarts. Go and love people, minister, help other people take ground in their life. When you see someone who's hurting, help them up. Don't be so focused trying to get to the top that you miss the people along the way that need your help. God, I pray that you're releasing an anointing on every person at this altar and in this room to be your hands and your feet in Tulsa, Oklahoma, your mouthpiece of hope, of life, of grace, of mercy, of forgiveness, speaking encouragement to those who feel discouraged. God, I thank you that we're your hands, that we lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Lord, I thank you that we're your feet. We go into the places that are dark and we illuminate the light that we've received. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that we would be your ears to listen to the cries of the people around us. Lord, that we would never underestimate the seed of our time, our words, our finances, and our prayers. Lord, use us this year. I pray a blessing over the people of this house. God, that we would realize who our source is and we would keep trusting in you no matter what we're walking through. Let's pray this together. Say, Jesus, I'm all yours. Use me for your glory. Wherever you say to go, I will go. Whatever you say to do, I will do. I belong to you. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. Renew my mind. Renew my spirit. Give me courage, God, to be obedient, to follow you, Jesus, and change the world, starting right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Today, God's marking you to change the world.